May I direct your thoughts to the first book of Samuel, chapter 3 and verse 18. The 18th verse. And Samuel told him, that is Eli, every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he, that is Eli, said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. We occasionally experience a lull before the storm. And in this situation that is described for us, we have a beautiful episode that must have been a joy to Eli. You will recall how Samuel's mother, Hannah, was in anguish because she was not able to have a child. We are not to confine this anguish to just motherly instincts and desires. There must have been, or there could have been, a situation where Hannah had understood that the Lord was going to visit her in the manner that ultimately he did. You will find the same thing in the case of uh, um, uh, John the Baptist's father. You will recall how God spoke to him with respect to his prayers and that his prayers were answered. And yet, when he was told that his wife would bear a son, that whom he would call John, Zechariah said that such a possibility seemed out of the question. And you will recall how Zechariah was struck dumb until the day that he named the name wherewith the child that Elizabeth had born in her old age, uh, he confirmed that the name was John. Now, 
it would seem that Zechariah was praying for a child and that he prayed with expectation. For the angel spoke to him and said that his prayers were going to be answered. And so we come to this situation in Samuel where Hannah, a beautiful uh, God-fearing lady, how when she received the child, she kept him until it was time for him to be weaned. And then she took him up to the temple to present him as one that would serve the Lord. Now, when she did go up to the temple, along with others, at least when she went to observe uh, the feasts, you will recall how she prayed silently. Eli saw her. He didn't hear any voice but he noticed uh, that her lips were moving and he thought she was drunk. For at that time, discipline had gone pretty well and uh, Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli, behaved in a most ungodly way. They indulged themselves and they acted in a manner that dismissed the Lordship of God in, in the ways that they behaved themselves. Now, Eli thought she was drunk and he rebuked her, but she replied that she was not a daughter of Belial, that she was not drunk, that she had made a prayer to God. And Eli said to her that he prayed that her prayer would be answered. But she didn't disclose what the prayer was. And when she came to present the child Samuel, she said, for this child I prayed. Now, you can imagine old Eli, the reaction to see the dedication and the devotion and the beauty of holiness shining through Hannah and then the child, and it must have been to him a wonderful, wonderful experience. The Lord had visited uh, Israel at that time, at a time that had totally gone out of control, and Eli himself had contributed 
to the situation that had become so desperate. He knew that his sons were behaving in a totally disorderly manner. He spoke to them, but he also had the power to remove them from office, and he didn't. But I'm sure that old Eli felt a deep sadness that could not be conveyed in words at what was happening before his very eyes. And against this terrible background, this sadness in his family, here comes Hannah, this beautiful handmaid of the Lord, and she presented her first son, and uh, she dedicated him and gave various presence along with the child that she brought up to serve him. So it was a calm, it was a beautiful calm. It was an unexpected calm and we see how in the situation that we read of now that matters had moved on and still at this stage Samuel did not know the Lord in the sense that he could receive and recognize the communication when God spoke to him. It is wonderful it is wonderful how God communicates and never fails in that which he purposes for the ultimate uh, fulfillment that God has in mind and will come in its own appointed time. There are three things that one would like to dwell on for a little. First of all, service. Secondly, judgment. And last of all, submission. Now, service to God requires that one first receives a call to that service. It is presumption on the part of anyone to serve God when he is not called uh, to that service. And you will see how this is emphasized right through Scripture. The call of Abraham, of Moses, the tribe of Levi, the apostles, 
they were all involved in a call to service. The tribe of Levi was called to serve in the priesthood and the tabernacle service. No other tribe was called to this type of service. And for someone even like King Uzziah, who presumed on one occasion to serve in the priesthood, was rebuked by being struck there and then with leprosy. No person could serve except the person who was called. And this emphasizes the importance of obedience when it is obedience to God. You will recall at a later stage um, when King Saul had fallen short in fulfilling what God had commanded him to do with the Amalekites, how God spoke to him through Samuel. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed or to give attention than the fat of rams. For he goes on to say, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were, of course, from the tribe of Levi, and uh, they were called to serve in the priesthood. But their service was full of presumption from beginning to end. They did not obey God, but they satisfied their own lusts. And we see a catalogue of uh, actions that were a disgrace to them. Indeed, would have been a disgrace to any man uh, the way that they conducted themselves. And so we see that in service, the service to God, the emphasis, first of all, is before we serve, we must be called of God. And again, we notice in the New Testament how Paul emphasizes uh, this service. No one serving as a soldier, he says, tangles with the affairs of this life so that he might please the one enlisting him. 
And so if anyone competes, he is not crowned unless he competes lawfully. And we notice that in the case of uh, the two sons of Eli, that their service had become a public scandal. There was drunkenness, all kinds of goings on at these meetings when they came to serve uh, at the appointed time. And that was how Eli, when he saw Hannah sitting and presumably her eyes shut and her lips moving, that he assumed that she was drunk. <clears throat> we move to the from service to judgment. And we have to remind ourselves that God is judge of all the earth, as we read in Genesis. And uh, we notice that from the very beginning that the judgment of God comes when it is proper that it should come. You will recall that the two sons of Aaron were struck dead by fire. And that was because they offered incense when they were not called upon to offer it, and they offered it in the place where it ought not to have been offered. Uh, they were promoting themselves and considering that uh, Moses had a very special place in the purpose of God in bringing the children of Israel uh, uh, to the promised land, we see how uh, an attitude developed which was unhealthy and which was altogether out of order. It is a terrible thing when jealousy begins to affect us to the point that we use the means of grace as a way of promoting ourselves because we consider that we are just as good or even better than our fellow believer. A terrible thing when the scripture emphasizes that we should esteem the other. <coughs> Let each of us esteem the other better than himself. And of course we won't do that because we're full of pride unless the grace of God will enable us so to do. It is not something that we are born with. We are born with sin to the point that we are full of pride. We are full of jealousy. We are full of presumption. 
and unless we are delivered from the sin that works in us, then this sin breaks into the service that we presume to offer to God. And uh, so we find the judgment of God uh, coming out against Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, when they took a censer and kindled it. It was at a time not commanded. Aaron was not consulted. And in a part of the tabernacle, not commanded in the open court and not at the golden altar. It was offered in a manner contrary to the Lord's declared will. The only fire to be used in the tabernacle was to be fire from the altar, uh, from the altar. Now, um, these are priests. They stand in the holy courts and they hold the censers of the tabernacle in their hands and the cloud of incense is ascending from them but the Lord is dishonored and they were struck by the hand of God. They were immediately uh, acted against to the point that Aaron saw the hand of God coming out in the way that it did and Moses commanded silence before God in this situation. We read in Romans chapter 11 for if God spared not the natural branches take heed lest he also spare not ye either, you either. Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. The judgment of God is continuous and we see it in so many different ways. We see it in our own lives. We see it in the lives of our families. We see it in the lives of the nation and throughout the world. Presently, as we look abroad at what is happening uh, between wars and famine and floods and uh, all kinds of uh, misrule, uh, 
see a situation that is unpredictable in terms of what is going to happen. Uh, President Putin is threatening nuclear reaction towards the West. And the West tells him, if he dares, that the reaction will be sudden and will be devastating. And here we witness uh, the invasion of a sovereign country, nation, like the Ukraine, and we see the horrors of uh, inhumanity in the way that uh, Russia is dealing with Ukraine. Not all Russia, but there are Russians who fear God, and there are Russians who are very upset at what is happening. But they live in a country where the regime is so severe that if they protest, then they go to prison or they die. <clears throat> and we're in a, in, a, in a very difficult situation, uh, in an extremely difficult situation. We are thankful for the way in which our own nation has reacted in support of the Ukraine. But in other ways, we are very much saddened by the way as, a, as we, as a nation, have turned our backs on God. Presently, that is the word football competition at Qatar and there is a terrible row over the insistence by the authorities of Qatar that uh, homosexuality and same sex and that the kind of uh, activity is totally unacceptable, unforbidden. And uh, those who are involved speak about human rights. And the question is, is it a human right to sin? And what is spoken of in terms of homosexuality and same-sex is what the Bible declares to be uncleanness and sin and the judgment of God. And one was rather encouraged to hear the president of FIFA protesting uh, at the protest of those who disputed the right of Qatar uh, to insist 
that practices of this kind were not lawful in their nation. Oh, my dear friends, we see that sin. Do we see our own sin? We are such privileged people, and how we tend to take the problems of this world within the church to correct them when we cannot even correct the problems that we have in our own lives. You all know the chapter in Romans chapter 7 how Paul speaks of the body of death and what a wonderful servant of God the Apostle was. A beautiful character, so highly gifted, yet so humble, and above all, what he spoke was inspired. It wasn't his own wisdom, his own grasp or understanding of things. When he went by his own standing, understanding, he sought to destroy Christ and the Christians. But when he was inspired, he spoke of Jesus as Lord and was unable to communicate what in the Bible to us is the word of God. And so we think of the body of death that we carry ourselves and even as I preach, there is always the danger that when I try to preach, I am adding to Scripture or taking from it, which is a terrible sin. May God deliver us from such a practice. And we stand before God, who is the judge of all the earth, and who is the Almighty in all his attributes. His righteousness is impeccable, and his love is such that Scripture says that God is love. And we can go so far as Scripture. We see darkly through a glass. That is how Scripture tells us. But we are far from measuring the height, the depth, the involvement, the being of God, the way in which he has indicated that all things are working together for good for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Oh, how little we know, not only ourselves, but even the most 
gifted minds, how little is known of God compared to the unfathomable depths that present themselves when we think of God as he has revealed himself in Christ. So we see the judgment of God. It's happening all around us. And uh, it happens, it is happening with ourselves. Last of all, we see the submission. Eli sinned. He was rebuked because he didn't remove his sons from office. But Eli was still, by the grace of God, a beautiful Christian, a beautiful Christian. He submits without one word of objection. It is the Lord. Let him do what is good to him. And we see in his attitude to God how reverence is at the very core of that attitude. Irreverence is parent to disobedience. True reverence will produce and promote obedience. And so we see in the submission of Eli. He told Samuel, who was still a young boy, what to do when Samuel was hearing the voice and he was thinking it was Eli that was calling him. He instructed him. And when Samuel was so upset with what he had received that he would not tell it to Eli. Eli laid a constraint upon him that he would not hold anything back of all that God had said to him. And Samuel told him. The boy told the old man what was going to happen to his household. Wasn't that extraordinary? Such a great and wonderful person in many senses. Eli occupied an extraordinary place as the high priest and yet a boy who was presented in the manner that we read of was the spokesperson of God to tell him what was going to happen to his household. Are you afraid of what might happen to the church as you see and watch around you what is happening? Well, don't be afraid because the church is not in our hands, in my hands or in your hands. 
It is in the hands of God. And the church is indestructible. Christ said that. Indestructible. And the scepter is in Christ's hand. People may blaspheme the name of Christ. The church may break away from his authority by going contrary to what Scripture says and putting their own wisdom in the place of the wisdom of God. But the church, the redeemed of God, will not fail. And it is wonderful to encourage ourselves in what is happening in our own lives. It is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And so we think today of the privilege that we have, that we have been informed, acquainted, that we have had and we do have the privilege of having the Bible in our own language. And uh, we are here uh, being told uh, how God is completely in control. But the wonderful thing is that we, by the grace of God, have an open door to approach God. That is the wonderful thing. When you and I pray, we are not praying to tell God that this and that thing has gone wrong or that we need help here or there. God knows in detail all that is happening in the world. There are some seven billion or people in the world we couldn't individualize these people if we tried I don't suppose the greatest mathematician could I don't know perhaps I shouldn't be saying that but it is questionable to individualize and personalize and know exactly what is happening God does he knows all and every detail and it is wonderful as we reflect upon how in our own situation we are invited to pray to God. It is not presumption to pray to God, but prayer is not what is prayed in public as such. It is a prayer, and public prayer is set before us in the Scripture. But we can be praying and not be speaking at all. Uh, and perhaps the most eloquent prayer is the prayer that is not uttered. When a person is in such a situation that uh, he is subject to such stress that he has the unutterable groaning as he measures up 
to his providence. My dear friend, don't think of prayer as something that requires eloquence. It requires the Spirit of God. And we are invited to pray. Why are we invited to pray? It's not to tell God what is happening in the world or what is required to be done. We are encouraged to do that. But what we are encouraged by is that God invites us to pray. Knock and it shall be opened to you. That is what Jesus says. It's wonderful that we are in contact with God in Christ. And that contact is our encouragement in life and in death. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, Thou great Shepherd, of thy flock how we look to thee for the blessings of the covenant so that in thee we may be enabled to seek first thy kingdom and thy righteousness have mercy upon us for thy great name's sake Amen Amen Let us Conclude singing in Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried. My voice, Lord, do thou hear unto my supplications voice give an attentive ear the first uh, three stanzas from verse 1 to the second line of verse 6 to God's praise Lord from the
intimations, the evening service at the usual time of 6.30 p.m., the prayer meeting on Thursday at 7.30 p.m., the services next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., taken by the Reverend Stuart Farms. Could the elders meet in the library for a few minutes after the service, please? And all of these, uh, sorry, the Witness and Explorer magazines for November are now ready for collection on the table in the vestibule. And all of these intimations, God willing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.